Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Mackey and Judd. You okay? Uh, on 1500 ESPN. Smashing it out in front of Pucksman. He scores! Bergeron sent it out in front. David Pasternak all by himself. And he celebrates as Pasta goes forehead and fires it by Freddie Anderson. It is six. Well, Boston's going to play in May. Let's bring Greg Wyshynski in here, senior NHL writer at ESPN. He's also co-host of uh, the Puck Soup podcast, which you can find. Mackie and Judd, why can't the Wild have nice things, (laughs) Greg? Like, what's it going to take for the Wild to play deep into May one of these years? Well, from from what we've seen, it's going to take a new general manager, obviously. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, you look at the at the way the Western Conference is 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 uh, configured right now, and you know, I've talked to some people around the league about Chuck Fletcher not getting his contract renewed, and and a lot of people have indicated, look, the National Predators, the Winnipeg Jets, probably the Edmonton Oilers when they get their act together. There's a lot of teams in this conference right now that are good and they're young. So I think what the Wild did was they looked at their situation and said, okay, we're good. I mean, we make the playoffs on a pretty consistent basis, but we're not young. Uh, so I think the real task here is, you know, remain consistent, uh, challenge for the cup. I think it's pretty clear that Craig Leopold wants them to still be competitive, but find a way to do so while also sort of transitioning a little bit to being a, a bit younger and a bit more competitive because the cores of these teams in the Western Conference are going to be the cores of these teams for the next five, six years, given how young they are. Yeah, and the Jets and Preds, uh, Greg, look so good, and, and the Avs are coming, too. That's the problem here, is is if, if you're the wild, you're getting older, you don't have a bad team, but you just played a Jets team that, that is bigger, stronger, and here's the problem, faster. And so now it's now you don't necessarily have to blow things up. But you do have to go back and say, okay, how, how do we at least start to get there? And it's a different uh, challenge now. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the real key is faster. And you, you look around this league, the trend is obviously speed. Uh, every, every line has to be able to skate now. Um, and, and the Wild just need more of these guys. And, and, you know, part of the equation, obviously, you know, some of the younger players that I think the Wild were bringing along, some of the younger guys that I think were attractive to Zach Therese and Ryan Suter when they signed those massive contracts, that generation of player didn't necessarily develop the way that maybe we all thought they would. Uh, so there needs to be kind of a rethinking of the of, of the roster a little bit, mm-hmm. and then obviously a deep dive into how 
start developing some younger, faster players that can uh, be sprinkled in over the next several seasons. So, Greg, uh, consistently when, when the season starts, what's the what's the national feel about this team? Is, has there ever been, in your mind, a national feel that, that this is a true Stanley Cup contender? Or has it pretty much been consistently, yeah, they're a playoff team and they're okay, but, but no real threat once spring rolls around? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's a playoff team, but no real threat. But, I mean, being a playoff team is a threat in and of itself in, in that you never know who's going to be able to make a run given, you know, the matchups, given the quality of goaltending and everything else. I think one of the national perceptions of the Wild was just the inability to get that one game-changing offensive player uh, that every team in the conference seems to have. I mean, a Patrick Kane type. Uh, of Philip Forsberg type now with the Predators, Patrick Line and Blake Wheeler with the Jets. You know, there's just not that one guy that you can look at and say, that's the guy we have to worry about. Even when they signed Parise, Parise was always a really uh, solid player, but, but, but a complimentary player and not necessarily a star that's going to carry an offense. So, you know, that type of player was always missing, and then I think there was always a deficiency at center. I mean, if there's going to be one real knock on Fletcher, if there's going to be something on that, on that career gravestone for uh, his time with the Minnesota Wild, it might be the inability to get that number one primo, uh, you know, top line guy. Uh, they might not have had that until uh, Eric Stahl re- relocated the Fountain of Youth in Minneapolis uh, in these last couple of seasons. But uh, they seriously lacked it, I think, for most of the time of his uh, tenure there. What do you think if if the Wild were to uh, whoever comes in and becomes the new GM? If you're gonna if you're gonna look to shuffle some things up, who do you think has the the most or best trade value, even if you were to, like, let's strip away no-move clauses. If you were able to to uh, to convince a guy to waive his no-moves, who, who are, like, the three guys that you think in a retool would have the most value? Well, I mean, first off, let's just say that it's probably going to be Paul Fenton as an XGM. <laughs> it's like right. one, of these, one of these deals that seems like it's a predestined <laughs> thing. Fenton's turned down jobs left and right throughout his uh, career, and now he's interviewing here, and there's a relationship that obviously goes back to Nashville with, with Leopold, so you figure that's going to be a done deal. Um, as far as uh, who should be traded off the roster, I mean, I think that's part of the issue is that there have been guys that have, that have moved recently that probably should have bought a bit, bought a bit more back. I mean, Scandella's a guy that obviously the return wasn't there. Uh, losing Tuck was a situation where you figured that the return should have been better. Um, but as far as the roster goes, I mean, that's, it's up to the new GM to really understand exactly where he thinks his team is because what complicates it is when you have the owner basically saying, look, this ain't a rebuild. You know, we're still pressing and pushing for a cup with a roster where, you know, that the, the five most important guys in the roster are, are you know, 33 year old, years old or older. Um, and that really complicates things if you're the new, new general manager because you can't start dealing away pieces that might not necessarily make this team a contender when the owner clearly believes they're still a contender. How would, would you uh, tweak and or fix a playoff format that's going to give us a, a Jets-Pred series that's going to be fantastic, but it's a round too soon? You go back to the 1v8. V- I mean, that's one thing because it wasn't broke. They tried to fix it, but it wasn't broke. Or you just do the logical thing, which is to reseed. I, You know, I've likened it to this. That's the, the move, the playoff, yes. The playoff format right now is like, given a, a kid a, a candy bar for dinner. Like, it's delicious, it's the best, but it's empty calories. And, and to devalue the regular season the way that the NHL has with this playoff format, where if you win a President's Trophy, your reward is seeing the second-best team in the conference in the semifinals, it's just nonsensical. The, the, the regular season is too long as it is. It's hard enough to give it value. And then when you strip away any importance that it has by 
uh, instituting this bracketed playoff format instead of reseeding. It just it just doesn't make any sense. But you know, but to add that to the list of things the NHL does, it makes no sense. So all right, let's go. So Judd and I, all right, Judd, I, Judd is much more attached to the NHL and hockey. I'm uh, I'm sort of a fair weather hockey fan, but we've we. There's so many things that frustrate us. Like, why are there NHL playoff games on the Golf Channel? And like, we could have a list. So, what are like, what are two or three things that you wish the NHL would do better or differently? Well, I mean, you mentioned the scheduling things, and I mean, the, the, the fact that they don't stagger the start time to these playoff games when there's a lot of them on the same day, especially in a weekend, is just maddening. There's absolutely no reason why two playoff games <laughs> should both start at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, right? Like, that's just dumb. Um, I wish that they would uh, get their house in order when it comes to reviewing goalie interference and reviewing the offside stuff. Uh, I think that that situation had good intentions, but it's a complete mess now. Um, we'll be here all day, really, for the number of things I think that they can mix. The, the, the thing that I think is the mantra for most hockey fans, though, is that we all love hockey and we don't all necessarily love the NHL is, I think, the bottom line. But, Craig, that's what drives me crazy because there, there are things in every single sport that are difficult and I, get, and I get aren't easy to fix. But this is a league where there are some, I think, simple fixes, and they don't do them ever. And it's, it's like if, you would, if Bettman and his people would sit down and apply common sense, we could at least get five things fixed really quickly to say, okay, it might not be perfect, but it's an improvement. Right, but I mean, what you're asking is for the old guard and the old boys network to change their spots, and it's just not going to happen. You know, like every time we get something in this league where it's somebody outside the box and, some, and someone forward thinking, I am always in the bag for them. There was a dude that named John Collins that used to work for the league. He was a leading guy in getting these outdoor games and, and brokering TV contracts and stuff. He's no longer there, but he was a guy that I championed because he wasn't part of that old boys network. This new owner in Carolina who's uh, taken a lot of flack for being the guy who actually sat down and did the exit interviews with his players. He's taken a lot of flack for not doing things in a traditional way, but I'm cheering for him because I think the more people that are outside the box and not part of this brain trust in the NHL that's been in power for the better part of the last 30 years, mm-hmm. uh, the better it's going to be for the league. Answer me this, sir. As, as a hockey fan, Connor McDavid not being in the playoffs is a complete crime because I've if, if you could – Sit down, and you were just a sports fan and watched this guy play. I'm convinced that, that that your perception of the game would change greatly. How does Peter Torelli, the Oilers GM, keep his job? When he trades Taylor Hall to the Devils for a defenseman who's an okay player, but Taylor Hall is an MVP candidate, and and he also has somehow made it so so one of, if not the best player in this league, is not even playing in the playoffs. Help me. <laughs> The, the real, I mean, of course, the real crime is that they won the lottery and got him because now he's stuck in Edmonton. <laughs> no, you're right about that. And 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 if I was the league, I want him out of there as quick as possible. Honest sure. to God. Well, yeah, for sure. And I mean, if 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 ever you needed evidence that the league can't fix the lottery, it's that season because they would have yep. fixed the lot. He'd be a ranger now, right? But uh, no, I I don't know how Chiarelli keeps the job except that to say that you know I wrote about this on ESPN a couple weeks ago. When you fire a GM, as the Wild are going to find out now, it's a titanic undertaking. It, it, it means that you are restructuring your entire managerial uh, situation. You're bringing in people for scouting. You're bringing in people for player development. You're basically, you know, firing a coach is like resetting a game uh, on your computer, and then and then getting rid of the GM is like reformatting your hard drive. So I think the Oilers see Chiarelli as, as you know, someone that's in place he has the ear of, of management and ownership. He, he's convinced them that he has a plan. And I think, you know, the alternative 
to hit the reset button like and, and change the whole team uh, when you believe that you have some pieces in place there already, I just think is too daunting for them. So would I get rid of him? Of course. He's made a series of horrible decisions He's as a awful. general manager and has set this team back when it looked like it was pressing forward towards the Stanley Cup. Um, but he's got the full faith of, of ownership right now to try to figure this thing out, and uh, uh, you know, and we'll see what happens there. Why are, are and this is not a bad thing, are we seeing more goals now? It oh, seems like uh, we finally turned that corner. Yeah, there's a number of reasons for it. I, you know, I think the game is just naturally faster. Uh, if you look at the power play rates this season, the success rate's a bit higher than in, in previous seasons. Um, I think the rules that they established early on to try to decrease slashing and things like that opened up the game a little bit more. Um, and, and let's, you know, let's be honest here. The, the rules that have taken away some types of hits uh, from this game, uh, because players know that uh, if they make contact with somebody's head, it's probably a suspension. They've contributed to help lessen the catastrophic injuries that we've seen and also open up the game more. So I just think we're in an era right now where the game is very wide open. There's a lot of really good, great offensive players um, and uh, and it was a really fun season to see scoring up so much and and maybe you know with with the Vegas Golden Knights and and soon with this team in Seattle the the, the slight thinning of the herd when it comes to talent on these rosters due to the expansion draft might also contribute to that as well. He's Greg Wyshynski. You can find him as a senior NHL writer, ESPN.com slash NHL. And uh, go subscribe to the Puck Soup podcast, too. Good stuff, man. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Greg. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. That's uh, it's Greg Wyshynski. That was fun. Yeah, he's... I've always enjoyed, like, he used to be uh, the puck daddy portion of the Yahoo, Yahoo. Sports yep. uh, NHL. That was that was him for, I don't know, at least a number of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now he's at ESPN.com. Leaves Boston last night, 11 goals score combined, the most for a Game 7 since the Devils and Rangers did it in 1992. Yeah. See, that's, see that's, that's hockey you like. Yes. And if it wasn't for the Wolves being on and, you know, this exciting Twins game where they held the Yankees under eight runs for the first time in five games. Congratulations. I would have been, I would have been all in. It was, it was like one of the five things I would have watched last night. LeBron was playing and then there was a a Bachelor reunion show probably on somewhere. Actually, I did catch up on Billions. If you, if you guys want a new show, it's, I think you'd like Billions. Showtime. Hedge fund, uh, multi-billionaire versus government. Very good stuff. All right. But hockey, Climbing the list if it's going to be seven goals to four last every night. night. Eleven goals. Um, we've got Royce Smalley at the bottom of the hour, and Matthew Collar is going to come in here in the noon hour. We'll talk a lot more Vikings and draft. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On fifteen hundred ESPN. To get out of the hole that we were in, to win forty-seven games, uh, to get into the playoffs after fourteen years of not being in the playoffs. Uh, to do it in a very tight playoff race, uh, to finish one game out of the fourth spot, it's a major jump from where we were two years ago. And so uh, we have to take all the things that we learned uh, this past season, and we have to make uh, a commitment to continue to improve. But uh, you know, I'm very proud of what this team did. It was not easy. Um, and they fought like crazy to get it done. You know, I've been thinking about Andrew Wiggins from last night and how he mostly just ghosted for two hours until garbage time and then made a couple shots during garbage time after Reggie Miller called him out on national TV. Mm-hmm. I would have felt more comfortable with his bad game if he had gone like five for 20. Like, I would have, if he would have gone five for 20, if he was out there just guns blazing, 
just shooting out. Just, I'm going to take every shot and go down guns blazing. Mm-hmm. But instead, he just coasts around and like zero assists. Before the game, he had a quote where he said, "We got to come out from the start. Go get him. Be aggressive. Play like it's our last game because it might be. Go out there and play like our lives depend on it." And then he shows up as a mummy, just wandering around for two and a half hours. So he had um, through three games. So games one, two, and three of this series, and game three he was fantastic. He had eighteen, thirteen, and twenty points. And after that, in the last two games, four and five, he was the exact same. Five of 14 from the, the field in both games. Yep. Uh, in game four, he was he made one of five three-point attempts. In game five, it was one of four, and he scored 14 points in each. And this is him. This is him in this sense. The five of 14 is classic but, Wiggins. But this is him. He got to game three, and he was he was very good. He was I wouldn't say he was brilliant, but he was very good. And I think he thought to himself, okay, great game. And that's just it. Like, there's never uh okay. Now I'm now I did this in game three, and I'm going to take it up a notch for sure. And and last night, last night felt like more of a classic game for him from just the coasting. But the last two games, he was essentially for what he's capable of doing, non-existent. I mean, he's had, like so, like half of his season is five of fourteen. It's yeah. here to, like. 2 of 14, 4 of 18, 4 of 17, 3 of 12, 3 of 12, 3 of 12, 3 of 12, 4 of 15, 6 of 21, 4 of 14, 3 of 10. I could do that for 20 more games. Here's some anecdotal evidence. You're going to laugh at me for this. And I was, and people were just calling me an idiot on Twitter when oh, I said I, this out last night. I saw this tweet. Yeah. But like, I my, you very my, closely. so Mike, thank you. My contention is if Andrew Wiggins had any passion at all, and any fire at all. In a sport where you can't exert your will. Like in baseball, because people are asking, well, why don't you care that Joe Maurer doesn't have passion? Well, number one, Joe Maurer is borderline Hall of Fame player. So, like, whatever his style has been, it has worked for him for the most part. And I think baseball, getting fired up at the plate in baseball, like, I, I want someone who's a little bit more level-headed in that sense. Not that I need someone who's a wacko like Lance Stevenson in the NBA, but but show some fire and some passion and show that... Like, Reggie Miller used to taunt celebrities at Madison Square Garden, Spike Lee, and did the choke sign. And and here's what I kind of stumbled into. Like, someone needs to poke Andrew Wiggins with a stick. If you look around the NBA as a product of the passion of really good players and the fire of really good players, most of those NBA players who have those qualities are going to fly off the handle once in a while and either, like, get into it with an opposing player or yell at an official. And so I started looking at technical fouls, okay? Unscientific, but just for fun. You know, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant combined for 30 technical fouls this year because they're passionate and they get fired up and they'll sometimes freak out at an official or things aren't going their way and they'll get into it with an opposing player. Paul George had 11 technical fouls this year. James Harden and Chris Paul each had nine technical fouls this year. DeRozan, eight. Greek Freak, seven. Kobe and KG in their prime used to get 10 to 15 technical fouls every year. Tim Duncan had nine technical fouls a couple different years. Like, he'd get teed up a lot. Not because they're bad dudes, but because they're passionate, fired-up alpha guys, right? They're top players. Mm -hmm. Andrew Wiggins hasn't been teed up in three years and has three technical fouls for his whole career. Am I saying that you have to get teed up to be a good player? No. I'm just saying if you're looking for evidence for whether or not he's as passionate or as fiery as other players in the NBA who he aspires to be as good as. Like, 
you can at least yell at an official once in a while. Show me that you're there. That's what I'm asking from Andrew Wiggins. Show me that you're there. And what I keep trying to tell you is you're not going to get it. It's not It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not in him. He's not changing. This is not... If now, now the DeRozan comparison, I don't know because I don't know exactly how his career tracked and what and what he did to change himself. But human nature, if you watch Andrew Wiggins play basketball or sort of just go through life, he ain't changing here. You're not you. You would be talking about flipping such a monumental switch that with most human beings, the switch it doesn't exist. So he's. we can talk all we want about him and how he approaches things, but I can tell you there's been nothing I have seen from him in postgame locker rooms, on the court, wherever, where I say this is going to change, which is why I think all you can do is cross your fingers, say a prayer, and shop him on game three because there's going to be a couple teams who think they can change him. Yeah. They're all, those teams always exist, Yeah. but you got to do it now because if you, you wait another year and get this— I hate to say it. I think that list is zero. Well, you have to. I agree with you. I think it's one of two things. You either have to trade him while there's any semblance of a chance that another team would say, "All right, yeah, we we'll put him into our system and make it work," or you have to revamp your system so that he fits better in it as a complementary player. Because you're not getting either right now. I mean, he's not he's not your leader or your top player like he's about to be paid as. And let's just say, and we agree with this, like he's no more than a complimentary player. And even as a complimentary player, he's just kind of like he's out there taking bad shots. And and so you either have to have a coach and a system that empower him to be the best version of whatever he can be, even if it's less than what you had hoped or less than what you're paying. Or you have to trade him to somebody who thinks they can do that and get something of value. But at this point, like Dookie and I were texting about this yesterday. If you call the Spurs right now and say, all right, Kawhi Leonard, you're having a falling out. Obviously, he doesn't really want to play for Pop anymore or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he only has one year left in his deal, too. So you'd have to, like, you'd have, if you're going to trade for Kawhi Leonard, you'd have to make sure that he resigns. Are they really going to do a an Andrew Wiggins for Kawhi Leonard swap straight up? Would they, A, be interested in Wiggins? B, what else would you have to give up to get Kawhi Leonard? That's the thing. Yeah. A year ago, yeah, I can't we were talking about, up. like, Wiggins for yeah. no, Butler, Wiggins for Kyrie, and now it's like, what else would you have to include to dump that contract? Yeah. It would have to be you. You would have to give them something more. But I just I think if you want to do this, you have to do it now. And and but this is what's so intriguing about this. All of this comes back to there's all of these different things at, at work here. There's Wiggins' situation. There's Butler's and his future, and then there's Tibbs. And so if you are if Glenn is going to make a coaching change, that changes the 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 dynamics of the rest of these things. This is where this gets so intriguing. And the other thing is, if you're not going to make a coaching change, and if Tibbs is your guy and you're going to say, you know what, damn it, we're going to put up with Tibbs, and we are wedded to the idea that this is going to work, salary cap-wise, you, you really want to trade Wiggins now because if you're going to keep Butler long-term and sign him to his max deal yeah. and Towns... And now do you want Andrew being a third max guy? Yeah, and that puts no. you up against it now, if, if now you want to make improvements from there. Yeah, now the rest of your team is completely, now you're like luxury tax and the rest of your team is is completely shredded. With the, the third guy being a complimentary guy at best. Yeah, if if you're going to go with the three-headed monster, three max guys and a bunch of scrubs, those three guys have to be so good. Correct. So good. And I worry about Butler physically over the next three to five years. I worry about Butler physically next year. He couldn't finish the game last night. Andrew Wiggins on a max, like if the rest of your roster is a bunch of sort of subpar scrubs because you're paying those guys so much. Yep. Boy, this is a that, it's a tangled web that's going to be really hard to figure out. 
So yes, it was fun. They went to the playoffs. It's great, but the the room for growth is very hard to find. This in is going to take a form. very smart person to yep. solve the issue. So the Twins keep losing to the Yankees, and Roy Smalley's on the road trip. They play. Is it? Did they play at noon today, or is it? It's a noon start. afternoon. It's a twelve oh five. So yep. uh, we're going to catch up with Roy Smalley here when we come back. Get his thoughts on why the Twins can't beat the Yankees. Later on, Matthew Collar will join us. Talk some Vikings. And some NFL Draft tonight, which you can find right here on 1500 ESPN. And we're going to watch the NFL Draft in this studio. Me and Judd are on a TCL 55-inch Roku TV. Uh, in fact, we're going to be rolling a little Facebook Live action tonight. But we're excited to uh, to be sitting in here with 4K picture quality and uh, and and just soaking all of the, uh, the glory of the NFL Draft. And if you aren't watching sports on a TCL TV... You're missing out on a top experience. There's a reason why top publications across the country are raving about TCL TVs. We're talking USA Today and CNET. Uh, it's America's fastest growing TV brand and the third largest TV company in the world. And you might be thinking, man, TCL TVs, is this like a, it feels like a, a relatively new phenomenon. And uh, it's been a quick rise for TCL and a lot of the top brands and entertainment brands across the country and across the world are jumping on board. Uh, it's an official partner of the Ellen DeGeneres Show and obviously an official partner of the Mackey and Judd Show. Pretty much the same thing. Go into any major local retailer in the Twin Cities and check out a TCL TV for yourself. Please listen carefully. Mackey and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former Twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. All right, Roy Smalley, I think uh, it's baby steps, positive baby steps for the Twins. Last night was the first time they held the Yankees under eight runs in five games. I think we can build off this. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. Positive baby steps uh, when you're in a situation like this really is important. And I know people get um, crazy about not beating the Yankees and losing a bunch of games in a row and they look terrible and all that. And the truth, all those things are true. Uh, but you go through streaks like this, and the streak right now is that uh, the pitchers are pitching well and the hitters aren't hitting very well. And and when you get into something like that, it, whether you're in, it's an individual slump for a hitter or team-wide, which it, it kind of has been, you do have to just take you know one pitch, one step at a time and, and dig yourself out of it. And, and we did see some positive things. Uh, last night, Lance Lynn uh, made a couple of bad pitches, but he made the best uh, I, he went through two innings where it was the best he's looked uh, after a you know abbreviated spring training. That's a you know that's a good sign, and the hitters are starting to show uh, a little bit of life. Sano looked better last night than he's uh, looked in you know ten days or or maybe more. So little things, it's little steps. You, you, these things don't turn around like oh let's just start playing better. You know it's when you're mired in something like this, it take it it takes baby steps. Still, Roy, why do, do you think that certain places are so tough for, for teams to play? I mean, this if this was going into the old stadium, I think I'd sort of get that. But th this place has been around for, what, nine years? I, I don't think it's all that historic or fantastic. Why do you think just that certain uh, places are, are so difficult mentally for teams to go into and be successful? Yeah, I don't know, but it happens with all teams. I can remember playing for the Yankees when I first got traded over uh, to the to that club we went out uh, our first trip out to uh seattle 
uh, we went out to the West Coast and we played the Angels and we played the A's and went up to Seattle and I was talking to Greg Nettles and he said, yeah, this is going to be great. We can never beat these guys. And I go, wait, wait, what? This is the Yankees. This is against Seattle. I mean, at that time, Seattle wasn't very good. And he said, no, nah, we, just, we just don't beat them. So I, I, don't, I don't know how that it's in Congress. I mean, some of, some of the teams that beat other teams really doesn't make sense. This team, uh, this particular uh, Yankee team, and the, frankly, the Yankee team since 2008 or 2009 uh, have been really good and, for the, and largely just better personnel than the Twins have had. It's not really surprising that, that uh, the, the Yankees would win a majority of the games uh, up, until, you know, up until this year. Uh, but uh, this kind of dominance is, is kind of a head-scratcher. Yeah. Uh, I caught some of your Logan Morrison breakdown on FSN last night, and it's amazing. It, it's like when he walks up to the plate, you can just tell his his head appears to be spinning. He just looks dejected and lost when he walks back to the dugout. Uh, can you expand? You were talking about his swing. It's a long swing, and pitchers are working him up in the zone, and oftentimes pitchers are throwing 95, 97 miles an hour, especially relievers. So what, what do you see with his swing? Is it something that is going to be uh, correctable at some point? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about correctable. I mean, for the most part, his swing is his swing, but uh, it's a uh, it's a swing that requires uh, very good timing. He's got to be he's got to be on, and you know he'll get that back. And I mean, there aren't a whole lot of guys that have perfect swings, and his. His is a home run swing. It's uh, a little bit uh, long and low, low to high through the through the zone. So they're they're going to be. It's not like a it's not like a Tony Gwynn swing or a uh, an early uh, in his career Joe Maurer swing where that bat hit stays level and through the zone and is in the zone for a long time uh, back at the ball. It's it's uh, kind of into the zone at point of contact and back out of it, and uh, that can result in. 38 home runs when uh, when things are, are going well, and it can also result in some uh, in some issues. Uh, let's say so. You know he's he's in a funk right now, and and like it like it happens to hitters, and it's you know you can imagine why he feels lost because when you're hitting about 100, you know you are lost. Yeah, press too. So what what do you see, uh, Roy, uh, from this slump that that you you just deem to be a slump, and what what do you see that actually might concern you about this team? A uh, slump from the from the Twins. Yeah, from the Twins. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not really concerned uh, about it. I, I I really am not. I I expect that um, all the starting pitchers will be uh, will be better. Than they've been in this in this streak. You know they played pretty well uh, to win one of the two games in um, in Puerto Rico against a, a good Cleveland team uh, after not having played uh, very many games, having a lot of days off to get a win. You know down there was good. They played pretty well in uh, Tampa Bay and just and didn't come out with a win. And you know so Addison Reed's been great, and then all of a sudden one pitch uh, he got beat, and uh, they missed the. Uh, they missed a bag on a pitch covering first. I mean, they they, they could have went, won a couple of games down there. It wasn't that they were they were awful. And then they come up here. They're not swinging the bats well, and the Yankees are hot. Are on fire, and and that lineup is really good. So that lineup is 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 swinging well. They're gonna be tough to, uh, to beat you know, by anybody. So I don't see anything that that I don't think is gonna change drastically during the during the course of the season. If the starting pitchers don't you know, turn it around, 
you know, let's say even after after they they leave here, uh, you know, for you know, if they don't turn it around fairly quickly, then you start saying, hmm, I wonder if if people are who we thought that they were. But I, I'm not I'm not anywhere close to that yet, and I really believe that these hitters are, you know, the last couple of years what we've seen from Kepler and Rosario and and Sano and you know Dozier. I, I think that's real. I, I, it, you go through streaks. It's 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 just one of the things you got to you got to ride them out. Uh, Roy Smalley with us talking Twins, Mackie and Judd. I know it's been a couple weeks now since Joe Maurer uh, racked up his 2,000th hit. Uh, I want to give you like, we 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 dove into this too late last week. We do have some time here. To what degree do you think he has a Hall of Fame case right now? And if he's not quite in, what do you think it takes for Joe Maurer to be enshrined at some point? I think he's got a, a pretty good case. Obviously, if he uh, stays uh, behind the plate his whole career, he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, the move to first base uh, hurt him, and the injuries that you know the, the two or three years where he really wasn't himself and got and got three years older uh, really really hurt him. But you've got three batting titles and and uh, two Gold Gloves, uh, and if he were to win. A Gold Glove at first base, which he should have won last year. I, yeah. that's, I thought that was a travesty. He didn't win it last year. If he can stay healthy and play um, play Gold Glove caliber first base and win that, I don't know. I, I really don't know. This is not a rhetorical question. I don't know how many guys have won Gold Gloves at two separate positions. I don't think very many, if anybody. And I I, I kind of think that would get him in. Um, I, I think that's special uh, special enough. Uh, it, so I don't know. I think it's I think it's probably he's he's a Hall of Famer for me, but he's it's probably he's probably on the bubble. It's probably going to take uh, something like winning a Gold Glove at first base and and uh, say it, it my here's my resume. I I won three batting titles as a catcher. I won two Gold Gloves as a catcher, and I won a Gold Glove as a first baseman. Where in in your mind is he back to right now at the plate? And and if he's made adjustments uh, from the time that he was going so well to the to the time he slumped, what type of adjustments have you seen him make at the plate? You know, I, as as a result of the injuries and you know the, the leg difficulty that he that he had and and different things, his swing got uh, longer than it was uh, earlier. In his career, and he had to he had to fight through that. He had to figure that out, and 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 it's still a little bit that way. But but evidenced by what he did last night, a, a up and away fastball that he hit uh, off the left field uh, left center field fence. Um, that's it, every once in a while he he shows that he he's still got that ability to square the ball up. Uh, you know, good major league fastballs up in the up in the zone where a lot of guys can't handle. It. He's generally. Uh, generally a low ball hitter and generally likes the ball, you know, out away from him. But uh, he is able to, you know, just keep taking quality at bats, and he's figured out a uh, figured out a way to continue to get the the big end of the bat to the ball. And and uh, even with the what looks like to me a, a bit of a, a longer swing that he developed over you know over time, I think as a result of injuries. He's got so much talent, he's figured out a way to make himself really competitive. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked you know, most people who follow the team two years ago when he was a, a 260 hitter, like like you mentioned, when he had those three years where he just wasn't the same guy, all right, how likely is it that you're going to want Joe Maurer around when that contract's up? And I think most people would have said, yeah, that's all right. That 
that's probably enough. Now, I mean, if he continues to hit well and hit hit close to 300, get on base at a you know 380 clip or whatever it is, and play Gold Glove caliber first base, you know, he might be able to not only extend his Twins career for less than 23 million dollars, obviously, but you know, he might be able to rack up 20 you know 2400 career hits, almost 2500 career hits. So. He could, if, if he if he became Mark Grace for a few years in his mid to late thirties, that would help his cause too. Well, it would, and and just for you know for all the rest of us, I mean, we were we were perfectly happy with Doug Mankiewicz playing first base, you know, and <laughs> and, and and so what you've got here is a is a guy that takes you know quality of bats, uh, plays Gold Glove caliber first. Uh, it, it, there's there's a lot put on Joe because of things that he's done in the past, and you look there, you say, well. Uh, you know, we need more from him. And I, and I look at that and say, yeah, maybe. But uh, if you start with gold glove uh, caliber defense and then you're 350 to 400 on base percentage, uh, you know, where are you going to find it? If, if not him, where are you going to find that? And what position are you going to put that? You know, where are you going to put that? A lot of, a lot of this is going to depend on, on who's around him. If, you know, if the power numbers are there from, Dozier and Sano and Rosario and uh, Kepler, then and Buxton starts coming along offensively. Then all of a sudden, and on a, a Gold Glove first baseman with an on base percentage of three eighty, it's starting to look pretty good. All right, sir. One game left today. Didi Gregorius. He's seven for twelve, three home runs and nine runs dri- driven in in this series. What should the what can the Twins do? Because uh, every pitch they seem to throw, this guy either ends up in the bleachers and or uh, in the corner. Well, look, Didi Gregorius is a is an outstanding baseball player. Obviously, he's one of my favorite players in baseball. He can play the heck out of shortstop, and he is just one of the toughest outs um, that there is. And I Roy, he that. also makes Yankees fans euphorious. I'm not sure if you knew that. <laughs> well. You know, I, I don't blame him for being euphorious because uh, he, he's uh, he's that kind of player. And when he gets, you know, again, you can be really, really uh, slumping or you could be on fire. He's a, he's a good hitter that's on fire right now. And Twins uh, pitchers uh, figure out a way to throw a fastball in the middle of the plate, uh, you know, once a time up, it seems like. And, and to the degree that, th- that that's going to happen when he's in this kind of streak, He's going to put it in the seats, and and uh, I wouldn't bet against him today. I hope it doesn't happen, but it, you know, it's we make it sound so easy for pitchers. Here, get ahead, throw a lot of strikes. Oh, oh yeah, but not in the middle. You know, I have to be on the corners all the time. But with this Yankee lineup, and with Gregorius especially, though, as hot as he is and as good as he is, you know, he goes up there looking for a fastball and happens to see one in the middle of his own, and it's 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 trouble. And and. And so, you know, Kyle Gibson just he's going to have to mix up mix up those fastballs and have the ball moving and 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 just hope that if he throws one in the middle of the plate, Gregorius has a rare swing and foul it back. Yeah, Roy, enjoy the rest of your time in New York, and we'll catch up next week. See you, Roy. Talk to you guys. All right, Roy Smalley, Fox Sports North. By the way, I think the netting down that goes down all the way down the uh, third baseline, I think Giancarlo Stanton would have killed three fans with foul balls last night if not for the extended netting. There was one saving lives. There was one that that got through, though. Did did you see that? I did see that one. There was one that. Do we know what happened to that fan? Uh, We don't, but I feel bad for them because they probably weren't expecting it. I think it was Rosario at the plate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. He had this ghost like look on his face. Yeah. It almost killed Kepler in the on deck circle, too. Oh, maybe the twins can 
Maybe the Twins can build off this performance that they've put up the last three games. We'll see. All right, uh, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackey. Little smartass running around giving orders to everybody. Judd Zolgad. Judd. Do you enjoy any part of your job and any part of sports? Is there anything you take joy in? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Want to run a race, but the training thing, not really your cup of tea. Here's the one for you. It's the Medtronic TC One Mile. Thursday, May 10th, runners of all skill levels. We'll run across the riverfront in downtown Minneapolis. It's a fast and fun race, and it ends with the J.P. Morgan Chase & Company post-race party, complete with food trucks, cash bar, and live DJ. Head to 1500ESPN.com keyword events for all the details. All right. Thank you, Dave. That was great stuff from Roy Smalley. I love his breakdowns of hitting and yep. mechanics and things like that. Yep. And, uh, and the point he made about Joe Maurer's Hall of Fame case I think there's been one or two multiple position gold glove guys before. I want to say, was Craig Biggio a gold glove winner at uh, in catcher at one point? I don't know. I think I there's been know. like two of them. But that would be a huge... And, and, he, and he got robbed. He should have won the gold glove last year at first base. I mean, Eric Hosmer... Yes, he should have. It's so weird that... Is it just based off, like, Eric Hosmer looks grittier and has a dirtier jersey? Like, why did... Reputation, right? Based on That's what? It. Based on... Well, based on the fact that... As far as far as I know, managers vote for gold gloves, and they don't even that really makes watch. No, that makes yeah. zero sense. You it should is, not have them. I mean, you watch why? a guy three times. Yeah, why are they? It makes no sense. It is weird, but I think if Joe Maurer were to add another gold glove at another position and then play like Mark Grace for the next three years, I think he's in. I think that's enough to get him in. Play until you're like 36 years old. I think or whatever. Darren Erstead, I think, is one of them. I think Ersted won first a gold base glove at first outfield. base in center field. Okay. Back in the day. I think he did, yes. Cool. Good news for you. I want to mock. Mock! I want to mock. Mock! We have, there's so many last-minute mocks coming in. So many last-minute mocks. Of course in, there are. Including this one from DraftUtopia.com. DraftUtopia.com. The Utopia of Sports. <laughs> there it is. Just waiting for that. <laughs> Forgot about the tagline. My apologies. I was thinking of Chris Ransom working at Panera while he's mocking. It's not easy. Well, Chris Ransom is the mocker in this particular case. Not Tony Mario, because he does mocking on the same website. Hey, Tony Mario here. <laughs> Mock the Mario. Gonna mock the draft. <laughs> All right. Oh. Chris Ransom. <laughs> Can we get you some soup with that mug? <laughs> do you have a Panera card? <laughs> or do you want a mock card? All right, an extra side of bread. Number one overall to the okay. Cleveland Browns, he's got Sam Darnold. Number two overall to the New York Football Giants, he's got Saquon Barkley. He's got Rosen, number three to the Jets. I'm disappointed, though, because he does, like, four-paragraph breakdowns for almost everyone in all of the rounds, except when you get to number 30. The Minnesota Vikings. Lack of respect. I guess. So he, unless I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, he only has like one sentence for the Vikings draft pick at 30. Strong safety from Alabama, Ronnie Harrison. I want to mock. Mock. I want to mock. Mock. In which Chris Ransom says Ronnie Harrison is the clear-cut third best safety. <laughs> clear-cut. Oh, there's no question about it's it. very clear. I, I knew that. Really clear cut. So safety, you know, could be maybe you know, 
depends on what you think about uh, what's our guy, uh, Anderson Dejo. But I could see them going safety in that spot. That's not much of a mock, though. I mean, just one sentence on draft day. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, he had three sentences on Mike, is it Gesicki, the tight end from Penn State to Jacksonville here? The Mayock line is still the best. Does not like people. For the, yeah, for the, oh, for, for what's Will, his name? Will, what's his face? Will Hernandez. Hernandez. Will Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah, does not like people is my favorite. <laughs> hates, hates his fellow man. He's a road grader who hates human contact. <laughs> Doesn't give presents for Christmas because he hates no. his fellow man so much. Just eats meat, potatoes, and gravy. Favorite for film, every the meal. Just loves the Grinch. All throughout the day. I want a mock. Mock. I want you mock. Mock. A little disappointed. Draft Utopia didn't go with Dave's favorite guy, Billy Price, but maybe there's another mock later in the day that will. The Utopia of Sports. <laughs> oh, I love this time of year. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this. Can I give you another one here? Of course. Just real quick, since we're since we're doing this, of course. we have a Kuiper and a McShay mock draft. I'm going to give you the McShay one first. We'll save the Godfather Mel Kuiper later. These Nick are the Muff. final. This is a McShay final mock right here. All right. All right. Number one overall, he's got same sticking to Sam Darnold, number one of the Browns. All right. He's got Saquon Barkley, number two to the Giants. Baker Mayfield, three to the Jets. Cleveland Browns taking Bradley Chubb with their second top four pick. Josh Allen to the Bills at five. Is that a trade? Yes, projected trade. Yep. He's got them trading. Yep. Um, let's see here. Uh, Josh Rosen to the Cardinals at 10 and then trading up. He's got a lot of trades here. And at number 30, Minnesota Vikings, according to Todd McShay. This is his final. This is mock draft 41.0 for Todd McShay. Yep. Minnesota connection. Frank Rag now. Interior offensive lineman from Arkansas. Mock! Mock! I want to mock! Mock! There it is. Does Frank like people? If Frank likes people, I'd I'd prefer the guy that does not like people. If he's a Minnesotan, he doesn't like people. He'll pretend like he does, and then <laughs> once they once they go away, he'll pass aggressively right. rip them behind their backs. Okay, I can handle that. Yep.